0: Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church, Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church, or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you, and enjoy. Yeah, Heavenly Father, just thank you that you are here with us, that you are here for us, that you were here before us uh, today. So Father, just help us by your Holy Spirit, just... Um, intentionally focus be attentive to what you're saying if you're saying it through me that's great if you're saying it somewhere else then just help people to ignore me and just zero in on your voice heavenly father just restore us in your grand story continue to change us and transform us and conform us into the image of Christ in Jesus name amen Amen. Amen. Um, so this is the final one Uh, for us this summer and it's also the final one of this like mini-series around uh, seeking guidance. To be honest I wasn't really sure where I was gonna go with this because I felt like Steve kind of... (laughs) like I did like kind of set it up and then Steve did the practical applications last week with this kind of routining uh, recording and releasing kind of thing Uh, and I felt that kind of summed it up really so really I'm just going to rehash everything that we've already done. I'm actually really excited about this though because I kind of tapped into some uh, Bible study things which I really enjoy um, I don't know if you do I don't care I'm, I'm the one that stood up here with the slides so uh, make of that what you will um, so I am going to talk a little bit about what it is to seek God and, and, and I'm going to kind of come back to what Steve spoke about last week so if you haven't read the blog uh, from Steve last week do read that because that's such a great great really easy to engage with idea around getting a routine recording stuff so treating whatever god tells you is precious and then releasing that doing something with it uh, so of course if i'm talking about seeking god talking about steve's blog uh, i am going to start with star wars um, so me and the girls so me uh, emma and sarah are all certified star wars nerds uh, i know that nobody else in this community shares that with me, um, but we are all Star Wars nerds. We spent the entirety of lockdown watching everything Star Wars that's on Disney Plus, and my girls are just absolutely into it. So, of course, Nick was the holdout, and and we've sought to indoctrinate her. Uh, (laughs) One of us, one of us. And so we've been making Nick watch all of the Star Wars stuff. there's this great line in the first film, uh, The Phantom Menace, where where one of the Jedi Masters says to this little boy, says, your focus determines your reality. Um, So back in the early 2000s when that film came out, you might have heard that a few times in sermons, because, you know, preachers, they try and be hip and cool, so (laughs) countless Matrix references and the odd reference to Star Wars or like Marvel, something like that. But, yeah, your focus determines your reality. And I love that line because it's quite true. Uh, as far as it goes, in terms of what you spend time, what you fixate upon, yeah. shapes the way you think. Yeah. It fills the way you be. And it affects the way you act. And that shapes how you see the world, how you see other people, and how you interact with it. There's something about being, our way of being in the world, that's connected to what we perceive. And I don't mean just look at, That's just a metaphor, but actually what we engage with, what we fixate and focus our mind on. So there's something about our being that is connected to our seeing. And of course, because I'm talking about seeking God, and then I've segued into Star Wars, the next thing I'm going to talk about is Sherlock Holmes. Of course. Um, So I am not only a big fan of Star Wars, I'm also a massive fan of Sherlock not just the BBC series which is excellent but I love the Arthur Conan Doyle stories um, I think Sherlock Holmes is probably one of my favorite literary characters and there's this thing like so constantly Sherlock's trying to impart his wisdom to Watson like his sidekick and Watson can never kind of get his head around how Sherlock does what he does and um, in, in the short story Scandal in Bohemia Holmes instructs Watson on on what it is he actually does. It's really hard to read, actually. Um, So this is a quote straight out of the book. Watson's asking uh, Sherlock, how does he do what he does? How can he just look at things and know what's happened? And so Sherlock's trying to articulate what it is. So this is Watson speaking. When I hear you give your reasons, I remarked, the thing always appears to me so ridiculously simple that I could easily do it myself. Though at each successive instance of your reasoning, I am baffled until you explain your process, and yet I believe that my eyes are as good as yours. Quite so, he answered, lighting a cigarette and throwing himself down into an armchair. You see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. For example, you have frequently seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this very room. Frequently, I said. How often, said he. Well, some hundreds of times, probably, said I. Then how many are there? how many? I don't know. And we all know this. How many stairs go up from your downstairs to upstairs? You've walked up them hundreds, thousands of times. But unless you work on houses, so I'm looking at Jeremy, you probably know, Peter would probably know as well. It's 13. It's a standard number of stairs in a flight of stairs. But we don't, we see, but we don't observe. We see, but we don't perceive the truth of what's going on. So This morning, I had a bit of a Sherlockian moment. We've been in this room, how many times do you reckon? Probably hundreds. Mm. What the green nets for? And I finally figured it out. Does anybody know? I know what you mean, but I don't know what it's for. The archery. Exactly. I never thought about it. Right, and the way I figured it out was I stood there because I think Theo was hiding behind it and I was like, what is that green net for? And I looked at the the metal wires that go across the room and then I could see just above the line of the metal wires on the back wall, there's dents in the wall where people have missed. And it's flown over. And then if you look at the wooden door, the side of the wooden door, somebody's obviously shot a a dart right into the door where it splintered a little bit. So that the the sliding doormat. Oh, yeah. Just above, yeah go higher up, that's where somebody's hit it with it with an arrow. <laughs> we've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times and we've seen in the room that somebody does archery here, mm. this is the longest room in the building yeah. and it starts to make sense when you start to piece, we've seen it hundreds of times but we've never observed it yeah. until now. See there's this distinction between what we pay attention to and what we merely see. So remember, something about our being is connected to what we are seeing, what we're observing. And there's a definite distinction between what we intentionally observe and what we merely see. So bringing these two ideas together, bringing Sherlock and Star Wars together, we do not always pay attention to things, but what we do pay attention to has the power to shape us. What we give that intention to... So now on to the Bibley bit. That, that's Moses, by the way. <laughs> you could not be anybody. else. <laughs> so I've been fascinated by the life of Moses recently uh, since kind of reading through the Bible. Um, again, I'm going to keep plugging reading the Bible together as community. And I feel like you know we all have our bible heroes but we kind of often scoop past Moses but actually what he did in the nation as, as a person of God is really really tremendous um, and what's beautiful about him is is, is he's so flawed there's so many of the heroes in the Bible are ridiculously flawed people. So even when God approaches him, he's like, "What about my brother? <laughs> Have you thought about this guy?" He's trying to trying to get out of it, and, and and kind of I feel like I resonate with that. It's kind of you know like, yeah, maybe there's somebody else. But so I've been really struck by this idea of Moses and how he saw God and how God saw him. So if you've got your Bibles, actually, it'd be really cool. Um, If you, you go to Exodus 3, again, I think this is going to be. Oh, no, it's not. So, this is the start of Exodus 3, and this is the kind of first encounter between Moses and God. So, we've got all the way through Exodus 1 and 2. So, that's kind of the death of Pharaoh, the forgetting of Joseph, the plight of the Israelites. Moses killing a guy. Moses running out into the middle of the wilderness. Moses um, meeting his wife at a while, which is quite a common theme. And this is when Moses encounters God. This is kind of the first real kind of encounter of God in Exodus, actually. And I just want you to pay special attention to the verbs that are going on. So this is why it's a bit Bible nerdy. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock into the back of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of God appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look. God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now, I just, I just love this whole section. So this is where the Exodus all begins. This interaction, this bizarre interaction that we've probably read and so familiar with. We've read it a hundred times. Moses is just doing his day job. He's been in the wilderness for years, this is the job he does now. He is the shepherd of sheep in the middle of the wilderness and he is just doing it. Nothing special, he's not doing anything special at all. So the verbs that we start with are, Moses was tending the flock and he led the flock, because that's exactly what he does. Every single day, that's what he does. He tends the flock, he leads the flock, and he's in the middle of a wilderness, so nowhere special. It's not significant in any way, shape or form. We've never been to this place before for anything important. But this interaction, this seeing, this turning aside triggers the entirety of salvation history. And it converts this wilderness, this random place, this random guy doing his random day job into something significant and special. Now for good Bible students, we all know that the wilderness is always a place of encounter and revelation. Everybody goes to the wilderness to get encounter. This is where it starts. This is where that trope starts. Nothing could have been so mundane. But he saw something, or perhaps to tap into that Sherlockian distinction, he observed something. He made a deliberate effort to turn aside and see. Now the thing is is that Bush is being on fire. In hot climates, in deserts, is not that uncommon. We know this from just looking at the Mediterranean at the moment. Wildfires spring up when it's hot and dry. This area is hot and dry. This is not a unique experience. This is something that Moses would have seen before. Things on fire in the middle of a desert. But he noticed He saw that the bush was not consumed. In the middle of a fire, he perceived, he observed, he took special attention to note that the bush was not being destroyed by this flame. Mm. And the verb is, he turned aside to look. He went out of his way to press in to what was being shown to him. And there's this cool bit because the thing is, is that Moses did the observing But God had already preempted him seeing, because it was God who wanted to appear to him. Moses only saw because God already had planned to appear to him. God preempted the seeing by revealing. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush, so Moses looked. Just like Steve was talking about, God is always looking to pour out. So with the jug of water and the cups, God is always looking to do that. Mm -hmm. But are we putting our cup in the way? God was appearing and Moses was seeing. And this is the important thing. It was God who chose to reveal himself at that moment, specifically to Moses. God initiates this amazing relationship, this back and forth between himself and Moses. And Moses' part in this was to be attentive enough to see. That is all. And I love this, the the verbs again. This is my new thing, by the way, the grammar of the Bible. Verse 3 and 4. Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. And there's this amazing sequence of verbs that match up. So you can't see the line. But Moses said, so he spoke. Then he turned aside to see. And then Moses' response to that was to see that Moses had seen. He saw that Moses had turned aside to look, and then he called. So there are these sensory verbs. There's this articulation. This is turning aside to see. And there's God identifying that Moses had responded to him. And then there's a calling that follows. And the center of it is God seeing. Now, this becomes really important. Moses had seen something that shaped his reality, that gave him a direction. You know, so when we talk about calling, his reality was, I'm an exile from Egypt. I've ran away because I've done something bad. I'm in this place. I've got married. And now my life is tending sheep. But he saw something that changed his reality and gave him a different direction. There was the calling of God that came on him. And it's amazing because this is all embedded in this conversation between God and Moses. It's not dry, it's not kind of, you will do this in an autocratic way and then Moses goes and does. There's this conversation, this constant relationship. And the thing is that, the thing that this all hinges on is God's initiation first. God always goes first. God initiates first. And it all revolves around that central verb, the central verb that God sees before we see. And so now we need to back up. Let's go to the end of Exodus 2. And again, take note of the grammar, the language. So at the very end of Exodus 2, this is the first mention of God in the book of Exodus, actually. God heard their groaning. So this is the Israelites in Egypt. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Now in the Hebrew, this is beautiful because it literally is that staccato list of statements. God heard, God remembered, God looked and God knew. And literally that word for acknowledged if you look in different translations, God noticed, mm-hmm. God had concern. It's, it, it's kind of like our translation is trying to put a nice, meaningful gloss, but literally it just the, the sentence is, God knew. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Yadah, this is that Hebrew word to know. Adam Yadah, Eve. God knew deeply and intimately and in, in, in His sensory way. God knew. Mm-hmm. So God heard, God saw, God remembered, God knew. And then we go on to Exodus 3.7. So bracketing this this interaction between Moses and this burning bush, you have God hearing, God seeing, God remembering, God knowing. And then after the experience of the burning bush, straight after, the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Again, this bracketing by God seeing, God hearing, God knowing everything. So... The, the, the interaction between Moses and God at the burning bush is bracketed by God. Who is the one who sees first. He is the one who hears first. He is the one that knows first. And he has invited Moses in. So if you think, think of it as a bracket, as, as a frame for how God interacts with Moses. For why God interacts with Moses is because God is alert. God is looking to pour out, like Steve said, for somebody and Moses is the one who paid attention Moses is the one who put his cup out there to be filled by God and so now we're coming back to that kind of thing that Steve was talking about routining recording and releasing God is always seeking to do that God is always seeking to pour something out Are we gonna be the ones that put our cups in the way? Mm. Are we gonna be the ones, like Moses, who take notice of something that we've probably seen thousands of times, but then we're gonna zero in and actually observe, attentively, consciously, deliberately pay attention to what's going on. We've read those verses in the Bible hundreds of times. And God is seeking to pour out something. Are we gonna deliberately Turn aside and pay attention to that. Are we going to put our cups in the way? This seeking, this attentive observation, it's fundamental. It's all. It's not our duty. It's not what we do to win God's favour. It's our response. So in my uh, first session around talking about seeking God, I pointed out from Colossians that it's our response to his grace. And again, God is seeking. God saw first. God heard first. God knew first. And it's our response to him. He's asking us if we want to be involved. Mm. So when Steve talked about those habits of routining, which we've done uh, so much of in terms of the rule of life, making space, creating that regular space where we can actively pursue God, where we can attentively hear from God, having that space and time to notice these burning bushes in the wilderness in which we live our lives, those mundane day-to-day I'm doing my day-to-day, I'm, I'm, I'm leading the flock, I'm tending the sheep, I'm in this space which I'm always in every four weeks or whatever, do I notice that the bush is on fire and not being consumed? That's that routining element. Treating it as significant and precious, having, having the awareness to take our shoes off and recognise this space is holy space. I'm going to treat this as a significant thing, I'm going to treat it with due diligence That kind of recording, like Steve said, that's a practice of treating the thing as precious. I'm going to take some time to deliberately make a note. I'm going to take some time to deliberately put that away and remember that or treasure it in our hearts, like Steve spoke about Mary doing, you know. I'm going to take some time to recognize that this is holy ground and I'm going to take my shoes off and press into this deliberately. And then we need to release that flow. Because actually, when we talk about revelation, when we talk about knowing, knowing isn't um, this kind of just head knowledge. That's information. It's only when we enact it, when it becomes something real and incarnated, that we actually know. And we could talk about like epistemology and all of that stuff, how we know what we know. But um, there's this brilliant quote somewhere. Oh, I haven't put it in, by Hans Urs von Balthasar, who, bonus points for that name, phenomenal name. Hans Urs von Balthasar is one of my favourites. Um, this is the true sense of the existential character of truth. We only really possess it when we do it. It is not only to be grasped and seen in concepts, but expressed in the whole of one's being and one's life. And thus we come full circle. What we focus on is our destiny. There's something about what we perceive, what we observe, what we tap into, what we hear, what we engage with, that shapes the way we are being. Because we only know something when we truly incarnate it. And the cool thing is, is that Horeb, Mount Horeb, was a nothing place in the wilderness. Until Moses encountered God there, or better yet, until God encountered Moses at that place. But the thing is, it didn't stay a nowhere in the middle of nowhere because Horeb is actually Mount Sinai. This is the place where Moses encountered God and Moses knew God and Moses knew that God knew him. This is the space where Moses encountered the God who sees and the God who knows. And so where does God bring him back to when he wants the nation? To see and know his seeing and knowing. Mount Sinai. And the even cooler thing is that way, way, way back in the time of Abraham when Hagar and Ishmael get sent off into the wilderness and God sees and God knows Hagar the outcast the place is called Paran which is this place this space of encounter, this space where we discover the God who sees and knows, isn't limited to us just, oh man, I had a great time with God this morning. It spills out, it overflows. So how you know God, how Moses knew that God knew, doesn't just stay with Moses. It has implications for all of the people that are around him. Because that's the space where God brings Moses back to, to lead the people of Israel. That truth that God sees is embedded in the nation of Israel because it was embedded in Moses. And therefore it's essential that we give ourselves to this seeking, this knowing, the God who sees and knows us. Because it doesn't just reside with us. We, don't, we might not have it all figured out. Moses certainly didn't get the gist of what God was going to do. He didn't know that in a couple of years' time he'd be bringing the nation of Israel back past this place to have the Ten Commandments and the Covenant... We don't know what happens at the end of our seeking and knowing God who seeks and knows us. But what we do know is that is it's essential. Are we going to put our cups in the way of the flow that God is already pouring out? And so I want to finish with this idea around fixing our eyes and why it's important. I was speaking to Steve about this um, during the week. So in, in Hebrews 12 it says, Fix... Arise upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I think I said it a couple of weeks ago that that verb there where it says fix, our eyes, is literally a turn aside and see. Mm. The same notion that Moses turned aside to see. Turn from this thing to this thing. Take notice. Don't just see how many stairs lead from the hallway to the rooms in 221B Baker Street. Know how many are there. That's what it is. See Jesus. Don't just see Jesus, but see, observe, pay attention to, perceive him. Allow that seeing to transform your reality. Allow that seeing to be translated into knowledge that's enacted. And So I'll come back to um, this. So this was a word that Steve kind of articulated about where he felt like where we might be going next as a community. We've had quite a uh, transformative time with, with the prayer and fasting. Uh, with the relationship with Streams of Life. And um, this, you know, Steve was talking about the jars. Fill in the, the jars of oil and Luke in, in the meeting that we had. You, you kind of, really great, I feel like a really prophetic word for us. This idea of you shall go in and shut the door behind you and then pour out in that private space these jars that will go on to the community But it's this idea of of having that deliberate time set aside to routine, Mm. to record, and to release what's going on. And so, really as we move into this summer summer period where we're not gonna be gathering together in this format, you know, we'll be gathering together as community in other formats, as we come to the, uh, hopefully, The, the good and grand resolution of many things. So kind of the, the relationship with Saul in that phase has become what it's become. That doesn't preclude it becoming something else in the future, but that's kind of drawn a line under. We're hoping for, for the situation that Steve and Susie are going through, that there'll be a line drawn under that come kind of August the 10th, August the 15th. So this is the time where us as a community, we've kind of laid the, the foundations through the rule of life. Through that exhortation, there's many avenues that we can explore together as a community to engage, to tap into that routining. There's practices that we probably all have about recording. And we're exploring what it looks like to fill up jars, to release what God's laying into us. Just like Moses was filled up with God, the knowing, knowing the God who knew, and then he went on to lead the children of Israel. You know, what does that look like for us? We don't know. But let's just press in with the same intensity that we've pressed into with the the prayer and fasting. Let's press into that seeking the heart of God individually, but as a community and bring stuff back together. So let's use this period of time just to learn how to routine ourselves, to get into that groove, to, to find the touch point that we engage with. And see the God who already sees us to know the God who already knows us, to hear the God who already hears us. So with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish there. Yeah, I definitely am, because there's no more slides. Um, so Heavenly Father, just thank you. Thank you that you see us, that you hear us, that you know us. Uh, before we do anything, that you're already there preempting us, that you're waiting for us, that, yes, God, we're talking about seeking you, but you are the God who seeks us, yeah. that you are the God who pursues us, And so, Father, just help us to know, help us to see, help us to be transformed by your work within us. In Jesus' name, amen.